I think in terms of the future of telehealth, it's going to be a mix of the hybrid care models based on preferences on provider patient side, clinical protocols, insurance companies and reimbursement will have a role there. And then, of course, this conversation would be incomplete without mentioning AI. How do we optimize the time of a pharmacist? How do we let technology take a first pass and have pharmacists really focus in on what needs to be done? Welcome to A Virtual View, where we talk about telehealth, healthcare, and everything in between. We're joined today by Varun Goyal, the CEO and co-founder of Illuminate Health, to discuss telepharmacy and medication management platforms. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Could you give us a quick overview of your background? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm an engineer by background and just spent a large amount of my career in designing software solutions for different companies and in various industries and gravitated towards healthcare over time, just given how complex it is and seemed to be behind the tech adoption curve, if you will. So yeah, went to business school for healthcare and I've been working in healthcare, starting out with a role with a company called Hillrom in Batesville, Indiana, did that for a couple of years in medical devices, and then moved up to working close to Carmel at a company called Availity in revenue cycle management and really understanding the reimbursement side of healthcare from a provider perspective, as well as a health plan perspective. And that's when we had some personal experiences with the medication errors that led us to start thinking about med management and how can we offer a better experience. So that's a little bit about my background. Did that naturally lead into telehealth or was that something you specifically knew that you wanted to bring the medication management into? So really the piece that was interesting to me is that in this day and age, we were having an experience like this where we are getting prescribed the wrong medication or being prescribed a medication despite documented side effects to a medication or allergic reactions. We started looking at tools on the market that consumers like us could use and didn't find anything with, I'll call it clinical intelligence or true value, if you will. And, and so around that time, I met my co-founder. Looking at my background, he started talking to me about all his issues managing his own meds and unexpected side effects and this and that. So we had this meeting of the minds where we said, we've talked to enough people, we've seen the statistics out there around what's called adverse drug events, where it's either a medication error or other reason, and a lot of them are preventable. And so we need to do something about this. So that's how we started thinking about and really focusing in on the medication safety piece, but then the confusion piece. Even for someone like me, I was taking an antibiotic, I think it was ciprofloxacin, where because I was researching this project, I sat and read through the pamphlet that comes from the pharmacy, which most people don't. It's full of medical jargon. I also needed a magnifying lens to read the small font, but I realized that I should not be taking the medication within two hours of having a meal. Otherwise it makes the medicine less effective. And I'm like, why would no one tell me that? Stuff like that gets to me. And of course, you know, we've all seen our parents and grandparents age and struggle with managing the 10 meds and everyone's confused when and how do I take these 10 meds do I have to take today? So that's the way we came to where we are because over time we started relying on our neighborhood pharmacist, to be honest with you. And so that's how the thesis came together. We said, okay, it'd be satisfying for us if we could use technology to simplify med management for the average Joe and put the pharmacist at the helm of driving that patient care because they're such a medication expert and quite the underutilized resource, underrecognized also. Pharmacists are frequently overlooked as a healthcare professional. And I think that's very interesting how you took your own personal experiences as well as just looking at the needs of what was out there and then moving forward with this project. Really what we are trying to do is provide 
medication management as a service led by pharmacists, but enabled by technology. And that's where that telehealth piece comes in, where we want everyone to have easy access to, to the right information at the right time, not just digital resources, but then the consults, the interventions that a pharmacist can do, the education piece. So that's how we've been thinking about it. And we started out more on the patient side, looking at the challenges they have, as we discussed. Our recent focus, given that we are connecting the pharmacist with patient, has been on the pharmacist tools as well. How do we make it easy for pharmacists to really focus on patient care? Exactly. So we talked a little bit about the risks and benefits, but are there specific risks that exist in maybe a traditional healthcare setting that doing this through telehealth sort of mitigates? I think, uh, so the obvious benefit of telehealth is the access, right? The convenience, right. the ease of being able to consult with a healthcare professional cost also comes into play in terms of having that access as well as timing. So with telehealth, you can potentially even just talk to your writer right away. And so that's kind of the a similar benefit from our perspective in terms of more of that pharmacy care management side of things that it's just accessing timely health. Right. And is this something where having this information more readily available to patients, is that something that impacts health literacy at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, that's a huge reason why we designed our solution this way. We wanted to take some of that work of self-care off the plate of either the patient themselves or maybe the family caregiver. And as I shared recently, even the pharmacist. And so a lot of the way we've designed our tech platform and approach is to improve health literacy, because as the majority of Americans do not have the health literacy, I think the last statistic I read was, was it 80% do not or something drastic like that. We focus a lot on when is the right time to take a given medication and how do you take the medication and so on. So that's a big aspect of improving that, let's call it medication literacy. And then we can reconfigure the daily routine and care plan, if you will, specific to the patient's condition. So that's where some of the disease education comes in as well. And hence, all of it goes hand in terms of increasing health literacy, because now they've got the educational references and the mobile app for the patient or the family caregiver, prompting them, educating them, engaging them, while also providing easy access to a pharmacist when they have a question, apart from the scenarios where a pharmacist would proactively reach out to them. And I do think it's interesting that you mention like family caregivers, because I know that a population that is very dependent on medication is aging adults. And that's a population that, again, may not have that health literacy. So I think we talk about involving family caregivers and that kind of stuff. And is that something that is made easier through a telehealth platform like this? Absolutely. And you think about the caregiver burden as it's called, of taking care of right. a loved one. It's real. These people are trying to manage somewhat of a professional life, if it's still possible, along with other aspects of family and home and more. And our approach is really, how do we simplify? How do we take something off their plate and just make it super easy for them to just know that, okay, Cameron, this is the pill you need to give your loved one at this time. And this is what it looks like. And by the way, give it with a full glass of water and just check it off that you gave it. So it's stuff like that. And then if, yeah, if they have a side effect or some question, Cameron can now just, just chat message the question and the pharmacist can respond in a timely manner as compared to Cameron having to call multiple places or having the doctor respond within 24 hours and stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting point too, when you're talking about, can we 
improve access as well as health literacy, as well as take some of the burden off of some of the caregivers who are working directly with those patients. And one of the big barriers with that is during the COVID-19 pandemic in telemedicine appointments, providers were able to prescribe directly to patients. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have anything set in stone. However, it seems to be trending back to once the COVID-19 pandemic ends, that the ability to be able to prescribe medication to patients via telemedicine appointment may be in jeopardy. From your perspective and just working with patients for telepharmacy, what's some of the benefits of being able to be prescribed the medication via telemedicine appointment? You know, back to the point you made earlier, Cameron, it's more of the controlled substances, right? That there needs to be more scrutiny around because unfortunately there's the good side and the bad side of it, just like everything else. I absolutely otherwise support the the prescribing over telehealth, again, from the standpoint of ease, the convenience, the access, but obviously it's a mix of clinical protocols in terms of does a provider need to actually examine you physically in order to comfortably prescribe something as well as patient preferences now where, yeah, let's say that uh, I might be able to get my prescription over telehealth, but I'm just used to wanting to see the provider face-to-face in person. And that's just my comfort level. So it's, I think we're that cusp of, like you said, where telehealth utilization just skyrocketed early in the pandemic. And then now it's, you want to call it plateaued to some degree or come back to maybe what could be the new normal. But I think people are still trying to figure out what is that right hybrid care model where, you know, virtual first makes more sense versus in person. We've had the most use cases with the most variety of telehealth services that we've ever had in the past. Mm. And we did that in a panic during the pandemic because that was the only way we could roll out care to people. But now we're moving into this stage where does this particular type of service or this particular activity that we're doing with a patient make sense to do in a virtual format? Is it better to do in-person? Is it better to do virtual? Is it okay both ways? So we're kind of in this weird limbo spot where we're still looking at a lot of different things to see what's going to be the method that makes most sense. And it's interesting you brought up patient choice. I think that's going to become a much bigger deal with care. That's going to drive what a lot of change will look like in either these virtual first, in-person or hybrid. What are patients choosing? So if they really want certain services using telebehavioral health as an example yeah. to be predominantly virtual, they, that's going to change the landscape of what behavioral health care will look like in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. But if people maybe are seeking out care for a different condition, and they prefer to be seen in person, and that's what majority of the people are doing, that's also going to impact that service line. So it's going to be interesting to see how some of those things shake out. But even within the realm of telepharmacy, what do those protocols look like when it comes to prescribing controlled substances to patients? And what would be the most effective approach, I think, is something that a lot of people still have on their mind and are trying to figure out. So we talk about patient choice and patient preference, and I think it gets very interesting when we get into the realm of populations that maybe don't have the same access to services, things like rural populations. We work a lot with those, or like I said, populations that are aging in place and maybe can't get to a provider. I think telehealth and medication management platforms could be a very good sort of avenue for those folks who maybe don't have the luxury of choice to have access to these services. 
Absolutely. Transport and the distances to your point is such a big challenge. From that perspective, I think what's been interesting the last couple of years is just seeing that tech adoption, if you will, where up to a large degree, it's just smartphone access it used to be a challenge. Thankfully, the Medicaid plans, states and others have made smartphones available or tablets in some cases for folks. On, and then even the tech savviness has really come up on the learning curve over the pandemic because everyone's had to adopt to Zoom or whatever it might be, whether for work or staying in touch with their family. And so I think we've come a long way in terms of that infrastructure and that digital literacy piece, of course, still room to grow, especially in the aging population. But I think that's where back to our conversation about the family caregivers, that becomes more relevant where maybe it, it is that grandson or wife or someone who's helping the, the person with technology, which of course has become much more simplified than what it used to be as well. So I think that's really the way we see this going in terms of the rural populations as well. And same with the providing value to providers in, in the rural health setting as well, where even they don't have the same level of resources and how can a service like ours provide value to the provider who's already overworked, burned out potentially, where we can take on some of the work of med management, medication education, and even some of the care coordination that it's involved in what's called a medication reconciliation, where we're trying to verify that this patient who was just discharged from a hospital back to their home environment, what is their latest and greatest medication list that they should be on? Because they had meds going into the hospital. And then now they have new meds as well. And even those aspects so that we can then share an updated medication list with the provider, with the family caregiver and patient just is what we've heard is tremendously valuable. Yeah. In my own personal experience, I've had family members with chronic health issues. And I know that even just finding a complete list of all of those medications can be a real task. And even after that, of figuring out what the interactions and the different side effects to be on the lookout for are can be something that's very difficult without the aid of some sort of platform or having a pharmacist exactly. like readily yeah. available. And I think even with that, we've seen some, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, or if I'm making this up, I probably need to go get a patent for this. But uh, <laughs> I've seen commercials for this machine where you can put multiple medications in it mm -hmm. and you can put settings so that for individuals know the particular cadence or time of day that they're supposed to be taking certain medications. Now, granted, those are helpful and those can be, be something to use as an assist, but it still doesn't help you with interactions. I'm pretty sure they don't tell you, yeah, you need to eat before you take this medication and some more of the specifics with that. and. I'm sure the barrier to entry as far as costs for those are not cheap either. <laughs> so we've seen some of those that are supplements, but not really quite a complete solution to really help people with that. You really do have to have that engagement with a healthcare professional that knows those medications and can really educate that patient to really see positive results long-term. Yeah, that's a great point, Cameron, because essentially what you're referring to is, is covering sort of one aspect of the challenge, right? But there's still other aspects, whether it's the consultation with the pharmacist or closing the loop with your doctor or whatever it might be, where a lot of us have to work together nicely. Or so even on our advisory board, we've got the Dr. Aiden Feng, who, who actually came from a company that did those home dispensing devices, really neat looking robotic device and dispenses medications on time and so on. And, and yeah, there's a couple of others in the market, but yeah, to your point, it provides 
part of the solution and the cost of entry is huge, which over time, yeah, time will tell. Will health plans want to pay for this as a standard issue or standard protocol along with then what are the wraparound services, the actual medications being delivered so they can be loaded into the device and all kinds of these other things that, that go into this. Yeah. And we talk about all these different solutions, not just the hardware ones, but all the different software stuff too. And I know in telehealth as a whole, and I'm sure in telepharmacy, there's an issue with interoperability. Um, is that something you ever face in your work? Absolutely. The good news is that there's legislation now in terms of what's being called the information blocking that's trickling down the pipes mm -hmm. and providers, health plans are working on making our consumer health information available more freely. So we've got a couple of different approaches. We essentially try and work with claims data. Every time we're starting to work with a health plan, that's our source of truth, if you will. Anything we can get from the providers is fantastic, along with whatever the patient might have as their record, if you will. And that's also the beauty of telehealth, because now the patient can just bring all their meds from the medicine cabinet, just put them on the table right now here. And our pharmacists can see on the camera, okay, I see this is what. So I think interoperability is an interesting one. I think, yeah, lots to be done there. But thankfully, again, things are moving in the right direction. But, but honestly, and I think the value of a service like this also, the fact that you're not just relying on technology. So we started a few years ago with a ton of mobile apps, right? There's an app for this, app for that. However engaging you make a kind of freestanding mobile app, people may continue or may not continue to use it. Research has shown that if you've got a trusted clinician monitoring what you're doing in the mobile app, right? Are you taking your meds? Are you reporting on your symptoms and side effects and this and that? Then that engagement and that compliance is a lot higher because as you would expect, it's, you know, that, oh, pharmacist Joe is watching out for me and taking this into account as part of the care decisions for me. So I'm going to be better about keeping track of these things. So I think that also to me is a huge value prop for a telehealth service like this. I feel like with telehealth, we get very caught up in the shiny new technology aspect of that. And sometimes forget that there is a lot of value, obviously, in still having medical providers and medical professionals be a part of that. And that a great value of telehealth is to just connect with those folks, not just to have a fancy camera or what have you, but is to provide those connections and to provide that consistent care. Yeah, for sure. The digital tools, so what's that saying, right? The best technology should not be in, in your environment. It should just be in the background, mm -hmm. if you will. So right. technology is just the enabler. It can help prompt. It can help you track, give more insight into how you're doing. But it's healthcare. We need that human touch, that human contact. So absolutely. Yeah, and I think with that human contact, that's where you can really catch some of these drug interactions a lot quicker. It's not a one size fits all approach. Each patient is going to interact with a drug differently. That's usually why there's a little bit of trial and error. Even when you're trying a new drug for the first time, you don't know exactly how your body's going to react. So being able to have that open line of communication with a pharmacist to begin with is going to be really valuable. But for some of our listeners who maybe aren't uh, very knowledgeable about what do drug interactions really look like? So how does that impact a patient or how does that impact their health outcomes if they are having some of these drug interactions? Yeah, absolutely. A drug interaction could present itself as a very mild, let's say, symptom like nausea or a stomach upset or something. But uh, unfortunately, some of the severe drug interactions could lead you to have to go to the ER right away. Unfortunately, the Debts are also part of the 
system when it comes to that. And there's multiple aspects of adverse drug events, as they're called. There's drug interactions, yes, but then there's also, is this dosage of medication appropriate given the patient's gender, age, weight, things like that? Is there a duplication of therapy going on where it's not just the same drug that's being prescribed twice and being taken twice, but the same category of drug where Maybe the patient is not able to see that at drug A and drug B, so they're different, but they're the same category. And so they're still causing that duplication. So there's multiple aspects of this that folks have to watch out for, I think. And then there's the allergies where I might be allergic to sulfa drugs, for example, or whatever it might be. And then even food drug interactions to some degree, grapefruit juice, for example, with a lot of medications is suggested not to have or definite not to have. And then back to your earlier comment, Cameron, I think knowing which medication is going to work better, I think especially in behavioral health is a tough one for prescribers to know, okay, which medicine do I start with? And then there's conditions where you need more frequent sort of monitoring and titrating of the medication. So adjusting a dose based on how today is versus yesterday and so forth. So hence more and more the access via telehealth and that continued sort of engagement model versus a once and done, let's say medication consult, if you will, makes sense. And last but not least, I think where pharmacogenomics now can play a role as the markers are getting more and more accurate isn't exactly what you said in informing some of those prescribing decisions, which medication is going to be processed better by patient Varun versus Cameron and so on. So I think, yeah, it's an exciting time. Yeah. And this is, and I'm going to apologize for my ignorance with that, but I have heard of being able to test to see genetically which medications are going to be best for you. I met that with a little bit of skepticism, if I was being honest. But just curious from your perspective, where are we at when it comes to that genetic linkage, when it comes to certain medications and the effectiveness of it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was in the same boat, I want to say about four years ago, when one really started hearing about genomics and genetic testing, especially with 23andMe and others, right? The consumer facing marketing was big in back in that time, if you will. But, but more specifically, the pharmacogenomic side of it has really come a long way as well in, in those years, because not only can your ge general sort of profile be valuable for a physician while they're making prescribing decisions or for a pharmacist when they're helping you optimize your medication therapies, but then now you can have focused testing from a pharmacogenomic profile perspective as well, you know, focused on a few conditions that the FDA and CDC have said that, yes, these are pretty accurate and worth reviewing. So I would absolutely recommend that at this point. Obviously, there's a variance in terms of the vendors that do a good job with it and who have got a better reputation, more accuracy, this and that, but that's with everything else. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I had heard of it and I really didn't do a whole lot of digging in it myself to know, okay, how accurate is this? Based off that feedback, it's come a long way in a very short period period of time. There's a lot of practical applications with it as well. Do you see, especially with pharmacists, when you're utilizing some of these medications and perhaps maybe you are treating a patient who is diabetic and so you're giving them drugs that are going to help them manage their conditions, do you see applications of like remote patient monitoring to where they're going to utilize peripheral devices to help determine what impact perhaps that medication is having on managing that patient's condition? 
Absolutely. That's definitely a direction we're headed in as, as that's a direction where the industry in general is going with, with the reimbursement code of RPM ever since it got available. And there's so much value in, in getting that data from the at home device, if you will. So blood pressure being the most common one or checking your glucose readings and more. And now of course, a lot more sophisticated devices with what's being called the hospital in the home scenario. But even for us app, that's an area where we are starting to look at how do we tie in the data from an ongoing diagnostic side of it to marry it up with the medication management side of it, because then we can have the full picture of, okay, Cameron, you say you're taking your blood pressure meds, but your blood pressure reading does not say the same thing, right? So it's stuff like that. I think that'll really play an important role, bringing it all together. But, and part of that is, as Danielle was saying before, is interoperability and making sure that all the data can be structured properly and you get the right insights at the right time and be able to intervene. That's all really exciting. And just looking at like the future of telehealth in general and telepharmacy specifically, do you have any thoughts about where we might go in the future in the sort of realm of telepharmacy and medication management platforms? I think there's a lot of room for providing more access and increasing awareness. What started out on the Medicare side is MTM, medication therapy management. Even the penetration of just MTM is not that great across the country. So I think there's need for more awareness and pushing that a little bit more so that more people avail of those services. But I think in terms of the future of telehealth, as we already discussed, I think it's going to be a mix of the hybrid care models based on preferences on both provider patient side, clinical protocols, obviously insurance companies and reimbursement will have a role there. I think from a pharmacy care management side, otherwise, I think it's a, how do we optimize the time of a pharmacist as well. So lots going into how do we let technology take a first pass at what should be identified with this patient and have pharmacists really focus in on what needs to be done. And then that engagement model, whether it's for the patient, whether it's a call, it's a text, it's a mobile app, not really tethering ourselves to one versus the other, I think is going to be interesting as we go forward. And then of course, this conversation would be incomplete without mentioning AI and the role of bots going forward. So the conversational AI, which is the most exciting in my mind, where now a bot could be having a conversation with you as a human almost. So it's been interesting to see some of the surveys and studies out there where some people enjoy interacting with a text-based chatbot versus a live conversation and more. So I think those are some of the exciting things developing from a virtual care telehealth perspective. The mention of AI, we have a colleague who talks about that quite frequently. So I do like the idea of taking some of the sort of lower level tasks that maybe take up a pharmacist's time and delegating those to an AI so you have more time to focus on the very important, not that everything isn't important, but the more labor-intensive things, the things that do require human interaction. Yeah, and honestly, that's the other aspect of where I get really excited because if over time you can really crowdsource all kinds of these medication prescriptions, the side effects, the experiences people are having, and really use AI, again, going back to Cameron, your question about the right prescribing decisions of how did this work for this kind of patient cohort and use that data as part of it, but also use that data to help guide the patient on an ongoing basis in terms of just 
optimizing their medication therapy. Simple scenario of, oh yeah, you're having some nausea today because you started this medication two days ago. And so this is the typical sort of curve we see of how it settles in and so forth. So I think that's definitely the future. Thank you so much for being here today with us. I think we had a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You bet. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you again for having me and would love to just use this to get the word out about what we are trying to do at Illuminate.health. And, uh, you know, all of us have aging parents and folks who might benefit from the service. So thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to A Virtual View. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Cameron Hiltz of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.